turn together to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 31 uh, this morning as we uh, come to to God's Word now. Uh, Continuing our series in Matthew, we're getting uh, closer and closer to the end. Uh, We'll be finishing up probably in uh, kind of middle of the summertime, uh, just in time for a a short series uh, in the summer that we'll do in conjunction with uh, Emmanuel Church Brentford uh, over the summertime. Uh, Matthew 24, uh, beginning in verse verse 1, and reading through uh, verse 31. Uh, And this is God's word. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Mm -hmm. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death, and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days... Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, it never will be. And in those days, had not been, if, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if, you say, if, if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds 
from one end of the heaven to the other. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. There's something uh, hardwired into us that I believe causes us to expect the end of the world. Deep down, I think we all know that this world is is temporary, that it's it's not going to last forever. Uh, This is what we hear all the time uh, in this city from from groups like Extinction Rebellion or or Just Stop Oil, isn't it? Uh, The big one is, is coming, and we need to take action now to stop it. We hear similar things from, from people like Elon Musk, who, who wants to populate Mars because he believes that uh, a global uh, extinction event is inevitable. And he believes that if the human species is to survive, then we're going to have to become an interplanetary species. And what Jesus says to us this morning is uh, they're, they're not completely wrong. But there's also no action that, that can be taken to prevent what's coming. You can't reduce your carbon footprint enough. And you can't hide even uh, on the far reaches of Mars. There's only, there's only one place where we can take refuge from what is to come. And this set of teachings from, from Jesus, it's, it's known as the Olivet Discourse very simply because, uh, as we hear, he's, he preaches it and teaches it to his disciples uh, on the Mount of Olives, which is uh, just outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And this is some of the most most urgent teaching that we hear from Christ Jesus. This would be uh, some of the last things that he would share with his closest followers, his disciples. This was the, the again the week uh, where he would he would go to the cross. At the same time, it's it's also some of the most controversial. Uh, it's some that's that's been uh, the most difficult to understand and and and, and difficult for the church to to comprehend. Uh, there's been controversy surrounding this for, for ages. Uh, I'm going to do my best to unpack it for us this morning as best I can. Uh, I'm not going to stand here and pretend that I'm uh, the ultimate uh, authority on these things. It's, it's perfectly fine uh, if, you, if you wish to, to disagree or uh, if you have other questions. I, I probably won't cover every little detail of the passage for us this morning. Uh, but uh, you're, you're welcome to come to me after uh, and ask me any questions you like. But I hope this is going to be helpful for us and practical for us. Because I believe that, that these verses are actually some of the most helpful for understanding the world that we inhabit today. Uh, Jesus isn't uh, simply uh, predicting future events here. He's actually revealing to us something about the very nature of, of our world and what we should expect from it. He's teaching his disciples actually timeless truths that will uh, remain in place until Christ comes again at the end of time. And that, in fact, is the, the most important and, and overarching lesson that we learn here. That Christ himself was supreme at the very beginning. That he was supreme at the, in the middle. And that he will reign supreme in the end. All of life and all of history is, is driving us to the king over all creation. And that's Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the, if you just get one point this morning, that's the one point to get. That all of history is driving us to our King, Christ Jesus. I want us to see that this morning in, in three, three sub-points. I, three, three things to see. First of all, the precious family secret. Secondly, the nature of these last days. And third, where to look for Christ. 
So first let's see the, the precious family secret. Uh, last week we heard the, the end of, of a, a set of confrontations that, that Jesus had between the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, and those, those took place in the temple. And, and last week we, we heard at the very end uh, the, the pronouncement of judgment uh, upon these men, these, these ministers of, of the Jewish people, the, the people of Israel. They were meant to be the religious leaders of, of God's people. They were meant to, to care for the hearts and souls uh, of, of the, the people of God. But instead, uh, they led many of them astray. And so Jesus had some, some pretty intense things to say, didn't he? Uh, he condemned them in, in some extremely explicit terms for the way they had led God's people astray. Now we find Jesus uh, leaving the temple with his disciples. And on the way out, you get the sense that the disciples don't quite get what just happened. You know, they look up uh, at the temple and they, they point out to Jesus the, the magnificence of, of the buildings that surrounded them. And it would have been a magnificent building, the temple. It would have been the, the, the focal point of all of Jerusalem. And probably one of the, the most beautiful and, and perhaps most intricate and ornate buildings in the ancient world. And Jesus' disciples, Jesus disciples leaving that place, they couldn't imagine a world where, there, the, the, where there, there wouldn't be temple worship. They couldn't imagine a world where, where uh, these buildings would cease to be. They, they couldn't imagine a place where they couldn't go and, and, and worship God in the way that they've had for, for centuries. They may have understood what Jesus was getting at in, in his judgments of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They may have thought that, that it would have been good for, for the, the temple worship to be reformed. But they didn't understand the totality of the judgment that Jesus had just pronounced over the leadership of the temple. So imagine how, how shocked they would have been when Jesus declares to them that not only would the, the ministers of, of Israel be judged, but the temple would be thrown down and destroyed. So he put it, not one stone would remain upon another. Now the statement of, of total destruction seems to be what troubles the disciples? And it, and it prompts their question in verse 3. The, hear, hear, hear what they said again. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, now before we get into the, the question itself, let's notice something important here. Notice, notice the intimacy of the, the subject matter. The, the disciples come to Jesus uh, in private and, and ask this question of Jesus. And Jesus answers them in private. And I think this is done in large part because uh, the end times and the, the end of the world is, a, is again, a, a subject of, of, uh, with a, a great deal of conjecture behind it. Uh, and Jesus is revealing to these men, men that had uh, an intimate and close friendship with him, some of the, some of the deep things of God. Some of the, the incredible ways that God's going to be working in our world and, and some of the things that are, that are hard for us to grasp and understand. But I think in, in sharing these things with the disciples, Jesus is, is pointing out that, that these are important things for us as God's people to get. And this wasn't part of Jesus' general teaching to the crowds. What Jesus says here is the, the precious family secret. It's meant to be, to, to be for those who, who belong to Jesus. It's meant to give us hope in dark places. It's meant to, to cause us to, to see the, the fleeting nature of this world. And they're meant to be things that we don't just simply go out and, and shout about willy-nilly. That these are precious things. But notice how the, the question, 
And some have argued that, and I, I don't think that they're, they're necessarily wrong or, or to, to argue this, but some have argued that the disciples are asking two questions. I think in, in their minds they're actually asking one question, but Jesus responds with, with really two answers. And you see in the, the disciples' minds, they, they want to know when the temple would be destroyed and what would be the sign of, of his coming at the end of the age. See, in their minds they're thinking uh, that, that surely the temple, the temple wouldn't be destroyed unless Christ has come back. They, can't, again, can't imagine a world without temple worship unless it's the next world where Christ reigns fully. And they're not, they're not very far off. But the the correcting point that Jesus makes is that the destruction of the temple is not necessarily linked directly with his return. Jesus actually does hear what what many of the the Old Testament prophets do in talking about uh, the coming judgment of God. They present a, a, a present judgment, a temporal judgment of God's people, an event that will take place in the near future as a as a picture or a foreshadowing of the, the great and final judgment to come. And that's, that's what Jesus does here with his disciples. That's a really important uh, paradigm for us to get. There are certain things that Jesus says will, will mark the last days. And when scripture or, or Jesus talks about the last days or the end times, what they are talking about is not, is not the number of days. It's not about the quantity of the days but rather the the quality of those days, what we can expect our world to look like and how we need to prepare ourselves for that. So Jesus does answer their immediate question about the temple being thrown down, doesn't he? Notice what he says in verses 15 and 16. He says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Again, Jesus uses... Uh, Old Testament prophetic language here uh, because that would have been something that would have been understandable to, to his disciples. The abomination of desolation was uh, an act of profane worship that several times throughout the, the history of, of the Jews uh, they had thought it had been fulfilled. Anytime G- Jerusalem would have been conquered or, or fell, uh, the invading force would, would set up some kind of, of pagan worship practice in the temple as kind of a, a humiliation of the God of Israel. A way of showing that, that our, our idols, our pagan gods, were greater than this idol. What, what Jesus clarifies here is that, in fact, this, this act would be uh, the, the final destruction of the temple. Something that, that happened in, in 70 AD when, when, when uh, the, the Jews were scattered and, and temple worship was brought to an end by the, by the Romans. Now this is something that, that was very important for Jesus' disciples to understand because it, it represented a, a paradigm shift in how, how they understood worship. And that's really what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus was here pronouncing an, an end to the necessity of temple worship. Not only because it had become corrupted by the man-made traditions of the Pharisees and Sadducees, but also because it was about to be made redundant by the work of Christ at the cross. See, Christ is the fulfillment of the temple and the worship conducted there. There's no longer a, a need to approach God behind the veil of the temple because Christ would give uh, free and open access to God by becoming our mediator. 
Christ alone is to be the sole object of worship among the people of God in the last days. And that was the the message he was giving them. But he was also uh, teaching them uh, and us that one day all man-made worship would come to an end. And by that I mean all worship of anything that's that's an affront to God uh, would come to an end. Uh, The destruction of the temple with all its uh, man-made baggage placed on it by the Pharisees and Sadducees was just a a foreshadowing of of, of what would come at the very end. Before we, we get to that end, we need to understand what will happen in between. So let's look at our second point this morning. Uh, the nature of these last days. Again, what Jesus is, is teaching is that the, the last days are not about the number of the days. It's not about the quantity of the days, but rather the, the quality of the days. What those days will be like for his followers. We, we've, we've been in these, these last days uh, really ever since the first coming of Christ. So notice from the question his disciples asked that, that even they understood his second coming to be, to be the end of the present world. So what we can, what can we expect from, from these last days? We can expect the last days to feel pretty much uh, like the world we inhabit. There's nothing that should surprise us here because we experience it every day. The world of the last days is marked by, by seeming chaos, isn't it? You see geopolitical kingdoms rising up against one another, wars and, and rumors of wars. What have we seen for centuries? Except wars and, and rumors of, of wars. In fact, I, I think it's safe to argue that the, the driving force behind, behind history has been war and violence. You know, very, very rarely do we talk about or, or, or do our kids in school study uh, a, a peace in history. We, we, for one thing, it's just not that interesting. But for another, there's, there's not that many times of it, is there? You know, most of the, the kings who've ever ruled in the world are, are known for uh, the, the wars they fought and the lands that they conquered. We also hear about natural disasters, don't we? We, we see those uh, quite often. We saw the one in, in Turkey and Syria just a few months ago with the, the earthquake. Uh, we've seen volcanic eruptions. We, we've seen uh, hurricanes and typhoons and, and, and all kinds of natural disasters. Another major mark of the last days. I think many of us, if, if you grew up in, in the West... Uh, you may have a difficult time understanding just how this feels. You know, most, most of us, a, a couple of generations ago, you, you wouldn't have to imagine this. If you, if you lived through uh, the Second World War, uh, you would know what, what Jesus is talking about here. But, but many of us have, have lost touch with that, which is it's not a bad thing. I think we can, be, we can be pleased about that. But we're the exception, not the rule. But what I think we can find and appreciate in a, in a city like London is that we don't actually have to look very far to find people who are who are here because they've had to they've they've experienced exactly what Jesus is talking about here. They've experienced the the violence uh, of war. And the thing about about war and violence is that what Jesus indicates here is that actually we we can protest it all you want to, and we can cry out for peace all that we like, but that's not actually enough to solve it. That war and even natural disasters are, are, are part of God's judgment on wickedness and evil in these last days. Even as these events uh, 
uh, are perpetrated by evil people. What Jesus says of these things is, is that they're just the birth pains, doesn't he? Just the, the starting point, the, the precursor to his coming. Uh, I, I, I cut out all of my uh, birthing illustrations this morning. You're welcome. But, but he says, but, but he said, he's, what he's saying in that is this is why we need to be careful not to, to read too much into any, any one event. You know, we, we all think we're, the, the world revolves around us. We're so me-centered that we, we assume that just because something is, is happening to us or that it hits close to home, that it, it must be a sign that, that Jesus' return is, is imminent. What does Jesus say? He, he doesn't tell us the day or the hour of his return, does he? When we experience these things, they, they cause us to cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. And that's, that's what they're meant to do. These, these events, these, these labor pains, cause us to see more and more our dependence and our desire and our longing for the true king and the true kingdom. Because in our hearts we know that he is the only solution. But these events themselves don't mean that his coming is imminent. So what, what does he say we as his followers should expect in these last days? He says expect to be hated, doesn't he? He says if you're, if you're his follower, expect to be put on trial and persecuted for following him. Expect the devil to send false teachers or antichrist to try and deceive you and, and lead you astray. Now, if you've enjoyed a, a Christian life of, of relative ease, Jesus, again, says you're the exception, not the rule. And to watch out and to be prepared for, for trials and suffering for following him. Again, this is what we, we see throughout the history of the church. The history of the church is a, is a history of persecution, isn't it? And suffering for following Jesus. When we looked at, at Acts, uh, the book of Acts together, uh, on Wednesday evenings last year, we saw that, that in the life of the very men that Jesus is speaking these words to, that they, they experienced all these things, didn't they? They were imprisoned. They were beaten. They were put on trial. Most were put to death for, for following Christ. It's believed that only uh, two of them died of natural causes. The rest were killed for the truths that they proclaimed. If, if you've not suffered for Christ, you're the exception, not the rule. And we should prepare ourselves to be persecuted before the end for following Jesus. Especially in our increasingly secular culture. It's, it's becoming less and less easy to, to be a follower of Jesus, isn't it? You feel this every day in your workplaces, many of you. I, I've talked to you about it. You know, the, the, the things that are talked about. The way that you're looked at when you tell people you're a Christian. The, the pressure to put that, that rainbow flag up during the, the I, I don't even know which month is, is Pride Month anymore. It seems like all of them are becoming that, isn't it, for some group. But the fact is persecution is not far from us. It's not been far from us in, in the history even of, of this nation. There, there's a history that, that, that points to people going, going out and fleeing from persecution in this country. The, the first settlers in America were called pilgrims. Why were they called pilgrims? Because that's what you call Christians who uh, are walking the road of suffering, who are fleeing from persecution and looking for, for a safe place, a better country. And that country isn't America, by the way. I know we've got a number of Americans with us this morning. That's not, that, that country is not America. 
It's actually the new world of, of the kingdom of Christ Jesus. But this is what the, the Christian life looks like, and it's what it feels like in the last days, isn't it? It feels like wandering a broken and barren and hostile land, of being pilgrims in a, in a strange place. It feels like being dropped behind enemy lines and never sure if, if the, the, the person in, in front of you is a, is a friend or a foe. And the challenge for us as God's people is to decide how we respond to that. How do you respond to that? Many want to run and hide. They want to create uh, safe places where they can live comfortably and raise their children without the, the influence of the outside world. But what do we see in Christ and his disciples? We see people who, who went out into the darkness and, and brought light to it. You see, what Jesus says here is, is that it's not all bad news, is it? Look back at verse 13 and 14. What's he say? He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the, the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. See, Jesus says that, that despite the pressures put on his church by his enemies, despite the, the, the outward appearances and, and the weakness of his followers, his true people, his elect, will endure to the end and be saved. And not only that, he says the, the good news, the, the gospel, is going to reach every nation throughout the whole world. And what we, what we see in that, what we hear in that, is, is actually the, the heart of our Savior for us, isn't it? He's a Savior who longs to gather a kingdom from every earthly kingdom. And he does that through his church and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, and of his word. Folks, we're not called as followers of Jesus to, to, bunk, to, to get into a safe bunker and just wait for the cavalry, to wait for him to turn up. We're actually called to go out to proclaim the good news that this world of brokenness and evil and injustice will not stand, that there is a, a king a savior who longs to welcome us into his kingdom. And one day, whether we, we like it or not, he's going to return. And he's going to come as the king and he's going to come as the judge. That's the nature of these last days. And finally this morning, Jesus tells us exactly where to look for him, doesn't he? Which is our, our third point and last point this morning, where to look for Christ. Verse 27 through 31, Jesus says, if you, if you want to see him, if you want to be sure of, of, uh, of when he's come, he says, just look up. Doesn't he? He says, just, just look up. You'll see him coming the same way he, he left, ascending and, and descending from the heavens with the, the company of angels in his train. He tells us uh, this because, once again, we can expect there to be uh, a lot of fakers, right? We can expect there to be a lot of noise around this. Uh, from the world here. Uh, a lot of people trying to lead us astray. Jesus indicates that there's going to be a lot of faults or, or antichrists that come along in the last days. And they'll try to trick us. And they'll try to lead us astray. And in the end, they would do great harm to the people of God. But he offers us a very simple way of knowing the false from the genuine. Did you see that? It's a very simple way. When Christ Jesus returns, he will return in power and glory. And it will be unspeakable power and glory. We'll be left awestruck by the, the glory 
of the, the King Christ Jesus when he comes. There will be no mistake about it. You know, on the, the coronation day in, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, you know, are we, are we going to be sitting there on the television going, wait, wait, which one's the king? Wait, wait, which one is it? Is it, is it? is it that guy sitting in the front row? No, no. The king is going to come in his royal splendor, isn't he? There's going to be no mistaking our, our earthly king, King Charles III, on the 6th of May. And Jesus says it's going to be the same with him. When he turns up, there's going to be no mistaking it. Notice the way he describes it. It'll, it'll be like the flash of, of lightning in the sky. There's, there's a few things that are more powerful or intimidating than lightning, is there? Lightning should, should strike fear in us because it's, it's both powerful and it's, and it's utterly unpredictable. If you don't take care when you see lightning and, and run for cover and shelter, you could find yourself dead pretty quickly. People like to walk around saying that, that the chances of getting struck by lightning are, are really low. You know, we'll say, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, you know we'll, we'll use that as a statement, won't we? You know, uh, oh, your chances of that happening are, are about the same as getting struck by lightning. But the chances of getting struck by lightning are a lot higher when there's an actual lightning storm, don't they? And Jesus says he's coming in power and glory, and we don't know when. It's, it's unpredictable. And that actually should make us fear him even more. Because he says our, our world is in a lightning storm, and we don't even know it. And the chances of getting struck by the return of Christ are, are increasing every single moment that passes. That's what he's, he's warning us about here. Just like it was, was really bad for the followers of the Pharisees and the Sadducees to be found engaging in their, their evil uh, worship practices when Jesus came the first time. He says, so do, do, does Jesus warn us against being found engaging in the, the worship practices of the false Christ when he comes again? Because we don't know when that is. Could be, could be now. Not quite yet. We don't know. It's going to be in a flash. And this is really important for us, for us to get this. Because this is why Jesus warns us in, in such stark terms. They, you know, these, aren't, these aren't things that we should trifle with. These aren't things that we should, we should play around with. These aren't things that we need to be, to be curious about. You know, going out to, oh, this person seems really genuine. No, no, no. Jesus says, you'll know when it's him. Uh, one of the all-time great uh, Tolkien quotes, and, and if you've been around a while, you know our family loves uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and, and anything J.R. Tolkien. One of his best quotes, I think, is, Do not meddle in the affairs of wizards, for they are subtle and quick to anger. And Jesus says the, the last day's teachings are the, the deep affairs of the Savior and the Father. Jesus later says that, that no one knows the day or the hour of his return except the Father himself, which means our calling is simple. Be ready and don't try to get too clever because we, we're not meant to meddle in these things. And here's what I mean. I'll give you an example. Uh, about 20 years ago in, in the U.S., uh, there was a so-called Bible teacher named Harold Camping. And Camping, like, like many who came before him, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't unique. Uh, there's been a lot of, of Harold Campings throughout the history of the church, but he had done some, some fancy maths. And he had determined uh, in his mind what would be the exact day of Christ's return. And he gathered uh, quite a following. And, and many of his followers even went so far as to, to sell all of their possessions 
and, and give the money away because they were so sure that they, they wouldn't need anything after that day 20 years ago. It was actually quite tragic when you stop and think about it. If you stick around the church long enough, folks, you're, you're going to meet people like this. You're going to hear people uh, who, who make these kinds of claims. People who think they're cle- more clever than they actually are. And people who don't actually respect the teaching of Christ. And, and the, the temptation, what many Christians will say is, they seem like they know what they're talking about. They seem really genuine. They, they seem like they, they have a lot of confidence. It's a good example why we, we shouldn't put our confidence in, in ministers or in, in, in uh, the confidence of our, our, our minister's confidence. Because what Jesus says is very simply, just keep looking up. If you want to know when I'm coming, if you want to know if it's really me, just keep looking up. That's all you need to know to know when he's coming. You'll know him when you see him. You won't be able to miss him or mistake him, so don't fear. Because when he comes again, the great king over all creation, a king unlike any that you and I have ever seen before, the wonder of this great king is, is going to just, just captivate us. And it's going to be so unmissable that when he comes, all the, all the things we'll have suffered through, all the things that we've had to give up, all the, the persecutions that, that have been experienced in these last days will have been worth it when he arrives. When all evil will be undone and the elect will be, will be gathered to their Savior and King. That's, that's the wonder and the beauty and the, the hope of the gospel, isn't it? That's what Jesus promises us here. That all that we suffer will be made right in the flash at the coming of Christ Jesus. See, Jesus says the big one is coming. The big one is coming. And you can be confident of that because, because he's the big one that's coming. And so he says, don't delay in preparing. Don't delay in seeking refuge in, in the only place that we can seek refuge. And that's, and that's in him. To seek refuge in his mercy and grace. Grace that, that overflows to every nation and people group on earth. Amen. Let us pray.